Hey there, this is Tammy File, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. We want you to know that whatever you're facing, we are here praying for you. And we pray that you're able to experience the presence of the Lord in your circumstances and that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you matter to God. Um, After God sends that message back to Hezekiah, um, the enemy sends another message to Hezekiah. So I want you guys to understand what we just read is God saying, I'm going to take care of this. You do not have to worry about anything. He even goes so far as to say, he'll get a message that he has to go home and I'll have him killed there. You won't have to go to battle on this. So, but the enemy's working overtime. And so he sends a message to King Hezekiah. In verse 10, it says, this message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done. Wherever they have gone, they have completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? My sister, have you heard that one from the enemy? Why should you be any different? You can't beat me. I get what I want. Don't we on some subtle level believe the enemy could pretty much do whatever he wants to us and we just have to react to it. Your God is big and he is powerful and he allows things into our lives. And we're going to study that further. We're going to explore that issue a little bit of why God allows that into our lives. But it is not about punishment. And I want you to understand this. Do not believe the enemy When he tries to convince you that he is more powerful or how about this, more active than your God. The truth is you probably see lots of evidence of the enemy are all around you. Just look around in the world and you'll see evidence. Listen to the news and here's what, don't listen to the news. Is that not the most depressing thing? You'll see evidence of the enemy's work. How often are we learning to see evidence of God's work? And so that's what we're going to be looking for. All right, we're going to skip down to verse 14. Well, let's see. Hold on a second. Yes, we're going to skip down to verse 14. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. I just love that picture. He took that awful message and laid it out in the Lord's presence. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. Oh, Lord, that's covenant God there, all capitals, of heaven's armies, God of Israel. You are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you prayed about King Sennacherib of Assyria, the Lord has spoken this word against him. We're going to skip down and not read all of that, but I encourage you to go back later. But to focus in on verse 26 now. 
This is God speaking. But have you not heard? Now, by the way, he's talking. This message is for the king of Assyria who is threatening his people. Okay. So this is God talking to the big king, the enemy. But have you not heard? I decided this long ago. Long ago, I planned it, and now I am making it happen. I planned for you to crush fortified cities into heaps of rubble. That is why their people have so little power and are so frightened and confused. They're as weak as grass, as easily trampled as tender green shoots. They're like grass sprouting on a housetop, scorched before it can grow lush and tall. But I know you well. Where you stay and when you come and go. I know the way you have raged against me, and because of your raging against me and your arrogance, which I have heard for myself, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the same road on which you came. Verse 32, God says, The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. And this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside its gates with their shields, nor build banks of earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road on which he came. He will not enter this city, says the Lord. For my own honor and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend this city and protect it. That night... The angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, killed him with their swords. Then they escaped to the land of Ararat, and another son became the next king of Israel. Assyria, sorry. God did what he said he was going to do. Your God has plans for every single challenge in your life. Let's look at God's response to the enemy under point number two. Your first first bullet point is this. What God is saying to him is this. You only do what I allow you to do. The enemy has no extra power in your life beyond what God allows him to do. And I know that brings into question, why would God do that? And we will explore that. But for tonight, I want us to understand the premise of the enemy's attack. No one does anything without God expressly allowing it. He doesn't choose it, but you have no strength. The enemy in your life has no strength without God's limit firmly in place. Second bullet point, what God says to the king of Assyria, you answer to me. Didn't you love the way that says? He says, I know where you stay. And I know when you come and go, there's not one single thing you're doing, Sennacherib, that I don't know about. Why did God respond this way? Point number three. First bullet point under that is this, God's passionate commitment to his people. 
We read that in the verse. The reason God responded this way is because he's passionately committed to you, which is your next bullet point. My God is passionately committed to me. So the first bullet point and the second are very much the same, passionate commit, but we, we make that personal. And I did not say your God is passionately committed to you. I will say that from stage, but you need to see it first person. It does me no good to tell you that this is true for you. It becomes more your reality when you say, my God is passionately committed to me. Second, uh, third bullet point, but second main bullet point. God's honor is at stake in the lives of his people. Did you see? For my own honor and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend this city and protect it. God's honor is at stake, which is the next bullet point under that. My God's honor is at stake in my life. His signature is on your life. He wants it to show himself a mighty God. And that only happens when we allow him, when we cooperate with him. When we do the things he asks of us so that his power can flow. Here's our problem. We want God to do what we want him to do. We want God to fix it, but we want him to do it the way we want it fixed. And the truth is most times God's plan is different than ours, but always better on the backside. Always. And if you walk long enough, you see that for yourself. Well, one final reason that God responded as he did, very important for you to see this in the point of our lesson tonight. Verse 21, when it says, Isaiah sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, because you prayed. Because you prayed. Sisters, one thing we are going to learn and work on this time is how to talk to God and how to pray. Now, listen, I want you to know that when I speak of prayer, I generally mean a constant conversation with God. I didn't know that existed. I knew I talked to myself throughout my whole life. I was the only person listening to me. I'm still the only person listening to me in my house. I don't know about you in your house, but God had been listening in, but I learned Pastor Joe gave me a book practicing his presence in 2003 or thereabouts. And I read this contemplative lifestyle and it was something I'd already kind of begun to do and I felt the freedom to do it. So here's what we're going to be working on this and it'll be in your notes. Your homework is basically formatted similar, but there are some changes in it, small changes, subtle changes. One of the things I'm going to ask you to do is begin to talk to God throughout the day to turn your thoughts to him and listen. So that is prayer. When someone says pray without ceasing, what they mean is they're in a constant just connection with God. I'm not always every moment talking to God, but it's like he's always with me and we've just stopped talking for a little bit. You and your girlfriend ever go somewhere and you just get to that place where you're talked out and you're just sitting there with a cup of coffee and you're just enjoying each other and you still feel connected to them, very intimate with them, but you're not talking. But the next thing somebody has an idea, they say it to you. And you share that together. You can begin to develop that with God. But what I want to emphasize tonight is not that. What I want to emphasize tonight is prayer, all capital letters, P-R-A-Y, pray. And I mean petition, beseech, 
I mean, earnestly seek the Lord. Hezekiah, because you prayed. Sisters, I do not understand many things about prayer. I want you to know a number of years ago at Medlin Park, somebody said something to me about I ought to be on the prayer team. And I laughed out loud because I thought I'm the last person who knows how to pray. I just, I felt so weak in my prayers. I was, and I, I would say to you that I've grown since then. And I actually feel like I, there are times where I do feel like a prayer warrior, but, but I've also lived in a, in a state of just acceptance saying, God, whatever your will for my life is, I want to accept that. And so, so much of my life has gotten to this place where I just say, God, this is my issue. And here's what I would like you to do, but I accept your will, your will be done. And God is asking me to stop hiding behind that. And he asked me, instead of living in this attitude that says, I accept whatever you want and I will gratefully live in that, which is the way I've been living for quite a long time. My emotions get ruffled at first. Don't think that when something happens, I don't get emotional about it. I do. But my, I bring it back and say, okay, God, you have allowed this. I always go back to you allowed this and there's a purpose behind it. And so I will trust that even though I don't like it. But now he's saying is, I want you to start expecting me to do God-sized things instead of people-sized things. I want you to to pray and ask me big things. Ask me for full healing, not just for you to, to manage a condition in your life. How about the next time something big happens? Ask me to do above and beyond what you think is reasonable. Again, this has nothing to do with money or weight or um, prestige or ministry. It has to do with him saying when a specific petition comes, I want you to think above what you think I might do and begin to ask that. It's scary. I can tell you that it's scary. But I want you to know this. Vitally important. This is an important phrase. It's going to be in your notes, but I want you to listen. Your response to trouble is the hinge upon which your victory or defeat swings upon. Susie, that's probably not proper grammar either because I ended with upon. Susie is my... um uh, just really good bud, good friend. And she edits and does, she cleans up my dirty places, my um, mess ups in the script. So y'all are very thankful for Susie and didn't even know that. Um, but listen, your response to trouble is the hinge upon which your victory or defeat swings upon. Let yourself take that in. Your response is the hinge upon which your victory or defeat swings upon. The next point is this, through prayer-filled faith, we reach up to lay hold of what God has made available to us. Through prayer-filled faith, we reach up to lay hold of what God has made available to us. There's this place in the New Testament where Jesus tells Peter, that what you unlock on heaven will be unlocked on earth. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. There's a kind of a confusing passage. But what we can know is this. God has made things available to us, spiritual things, huge things, that nothing but your prayer will unleash on this earth. Why 
I cannot tell you why God does it. I can tell you he wants relationship. I can tell you he wants you to learn something. I can tell you that about a year ago, he showed me it's for the joy. You know, Jesus says, I tell you these things so that your joy may be full. And what I understood was there is joy in seeing God answer your prayer. It's, it, there's joy in realizing you're understanding what God wants you to ask of him. And there's joy in that. But there are so many other things I can't tell you. What I'd like to say is, God, just do it. Do the best. But what I'm learning and what I don't have all the answers for you is somehow our prayer is vitally important to unleashing on earth what he has made available to us in heaven. Let me give you one quick little example and see if this makes sense to you. We all know in this room, I think, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And we know that through the grace of God, our forgiveness was made available to us. But until you reach up to take hold of it, you don't own it. You don't possess it. Grace made it available to you. But just because it's available doesn't make it yours till you reach up for it. So can we see in that state that faith, our trusting that God is doing what he said he would do, is what allowed our salvation? He says through faith alone. His grace allowed and provided. Our faith reaches up and takes hold. We're not reaching for God. We're just reaching out to lay hold of what he has provided. The same thing I'm understanding him to say in some ways that, again, I don't understand is this. Prayer reaches up, reaches up to lay hold and bring to earth what will not come without faith. I put there prayer-filled faith. And I wanted to say faith-filled prayer because that's how we usually say it. And God kept saying, no, prayer-filled faith. Let us pray. Sometimes I think we have more faith than prayer because I think, I know you can, God, and I'm hoping you will. How about ask me boldly to do that thing? The last point on your outline there is a is a verse in First Chronicles. This will become a theme verse for us throughout this time. And it says this, they cried out to God during the battle and he answered their prayer because they trusted in him. This will become our, just a focus for us. We are going to cry out to God and he will answer because we trust in him. We spent a lot of time in the last 11 weeks looking at trust. Trust requires an action on our part of some way. Remember we said that trust is leaning into God. It's, it's taking your feet off the ground basically and climbing up on God and saying, it's you God or nothing. That's trust more than our belief. It is trust. You guys will receive tonight a prayer card, a ver- um, a yellow card that looks like this. Your leaders have them. And that verse is on there. I want to ask you to put this in your Bible. I'm asking you to review this, to read it, and to begin to bring it into your own life. And on the back, take the time, if you will, to record when you have a battle, when there's something significant. I have a battle right now in my mind. It isn't because of challenge, uh, circumstances, but it's because God said, I want you to, to do this certain thing. I want you to ask this certain thing of me. And I'm scared to death of it, but he's got to work all that stuff out in me. That's what ruffled my feathers with him. And I don't have it all worked out. But here's what, it's a battle because there's something lodged deep inside of me that resists that. 
And so that battle is going to go on the back of my card. It went in my prayer journal this today, went in my regular journal before that. He's asked me to keep a prayer journal this year. I've not done that very much because I keep a regular journal. I go through three or four of those a year and I put everything in there. But he's asked me to separate out some, some specific prayers and I have to pray specific prayers. I read a quote yesterday that said, God does not answer vague prayers. <laughs> God does not answer vague prayers. Oh, ladies, that our prayers would not be vague. If you would like to study along with me, you can find the workbooks at TammyFile.com and just click on the Bookstore tab. This message coordinates with the first workbook in the Journey with God series called Discovering the Father's Heart.